Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Forward Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Armstrong. If I sound a little tired, it's because I am. I'm, uh, I'm in Carson City, Nevada. I came out here for, the, uh, for my second ever Epic Rides event. Todd Saydown and his team have this company called Epic Rides. Some of you may remember we did his 24-hour event maybe six months ago. Eh, not even that long ago. And, um, but he does these other sort of one-day events throughout the year. And uh, myself, Dylan Casey, Dave Bulch uh, came out here and did the one today. 53 miles, nearly 9,000 vert of climbing. I am fried. So uh, bear with me. Um, but thanks for tuning in. Any questions, comments, suggestions, send me an email, theforwardpodcast at wedosport.com. So this week, besides doing this event, which was the first time I've done this in my life, I did another thing for the first time ever in my life. Um, I, uh, You know what? It wasn't the first time because uh, my older kids went to summer camp, but they, they went to summer camp. They went to Camp Longhorn way back in the day. Didn't really feel like a camp because it was so close to Austin, but uh, my little kids... Max and Olivia, we took, it was like a journey. We took them to summer camp um, in Minnesota, like northern Minnesota. So we flew to Minneapolis, drove all the way up there. But it's like one of these classic summer camps, you know, like, well, I wouldn't know. I didn't go anything like that. But, um, you know, it was it was interesting uh, and, and a little, uh, you know, made me a little sad to have to leave my little guys behind for five days. They're so young, it's just an introductory camp. But... Um, they're having a blast. Pictures are coming through online. I'm able to email them and, uh, look forward to picking them up and, uh, spending Father's Day together. And on that note, to all you dudes out there, happy Father's Day. And, uh, um, oh, uh, yeah. One other thing, um, that I wanted to say, cause I said it last week that I, and I challenged all of you listeners to, um, to, to match me on instead of the new year's resolution is the summer resolution. So I'd been having all these like stomach problems and just, just fucked up shit. Like my, I couldn't, my gut was bad. And then I started just, you know, I stuck to the summer resolution and in the race today, the gut was spot on. I mean, obviously I'm not fit enough to hang, but didn't have the issues. I've been focusing on diet, been focusing on stress, been focusing on sleep, you know, cutting back on red meat, alcohol, all these things. And God, I was so stoked to just, uh, to have a day where, um, where it didn't bug me. So, uh, send me a note and let me know how your summer resolutions are coming along. Hey, my guest this week is, is a fascinating guy. This is one of the, I think this is one of these ones where the entire world will not know this name. Um, but the conversation that he and I had, Dave McGalvery, is who I'm talking about, was so fascinating, been through so much. He's been the race director at the Boston Marathon for a long, long time. He's been in the endurance space um, for an equally long time. And as we all know, you know, his life um, really, really changed a few years ago when they had the bombings at the finish line in Boston. Um, probably less known was that around the same time, he had a very significant health scare uh, with his heart, you know, a lot, probably like a lot of us, exercises every day, thinks they're in top shape. Why would I have a heart problem? Well, lo and behold, he did. And so uh, that was, you know, that was a tough year for him, kind of a double whammy. But um, I think you all are going to enjoy this conversation. I know I really uh, enjoyed it. I was actually, we did the conversation in Boston when I was up there for some meetings. But uh, Dave McGowry, old friend of mine, I actually ran the marathon in 2000. I'm going to mess this up, but 2007 or 2008, I think. Um, if you ever, if you run marathons or if you run, you ever want to do a marathon, that's the one to do. It's it's just the course is amazing, and you'll hear a lot about the course and a lot about the history of the course and and you know things that you know. It's one of these mythical things in the endurance world where um, there's a lot of stories, and Dave is kind of the uh, the keeper of those stories. So. You guys enjoy. See you next week. And uh, keep making the summer resolutions.
Dave, thanks for being here. Thanks hey. for coming on the forward. My pleasure. I was just telling you a second ago that yeah. most people that come on, you know, play guitar and sing or sing alone. So, you know, well, be thinking about what you'd like to. We typically do it towards the end of the this show. This will end really quick if you want me to do that. You know, no, just even just you row, said forty-five row. minutes, not forty-five seconds. No. Um, you're sixty-two years old. Yes. And I read on the internet, which means it must be true. That every year for your birthday, you run a mile per year. Yeah. So that means this year you ran, on, on your birthday, you ran 62 miles. Yeah, 63 coming up. So, obviously, one can't do that forever. Right. I thought it was a good idea when I was 12, <laughs> when I started it, which is 50 years ago. Is so, that you really did start it when you were 12? Yeah, when I was 12. So I've done it every year for 50 years. Yeah. And at which point did you start to say that this was a bad idea? 13. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> no. Um, no, when I, when I was heading towards 50, I thought, okay, I always want to set goals for success, not failure. Mm. And I know I was setting myself up for failure, if you will, that mm. someday this is going to end. Yeah. So I decided when I was 49 that when I turned 50, I'd run 50. When I turned 51, I'd start counting down. So 51, I do 49, and 52, I do 48. When I turn 70, I do 30. Hmm. So that seemed more reasonable. Yep. So I got to 49 miles on my 51st birthday, and I was standing in front of my house, and I just went, what do I do? And it was probably the most painful decision I had to make because I've been doing this all my life. And I said, am I going to end this now, or am I going to continue? And I had it in me to do two more. Right. And I said, screw it. And I kept going, and I knew that was going to chart the course <laughs> for the next whatever period of time right. that I was going to keep adding on another one. No turning back. So all I have to do is one more than I did the year before. What's the big deal? Yeah. 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 I once had that idea and, I, and it's not nearly as cool as yours or as uh, legendary, but I was, I think it was in maybe in 2011 or 2012. I thought every year on January 1st, I'll run, you know, a mile. So in 2012, I ran 12 miles mm -hmm. and then 13 miles, but that's not nearly. And then I stopped. Yeah. I stopped doing it because I stopped running. Mm -hmm. But well, for me, it's a it, it satisfies a number of things. One is it keeps me honest. Um, you know, obviously, mm -hmm. when people celebrate their birthday, they typically cake and ice cream or whatever they do. And for me, it's all about being fit, being healthy, athleticism, right? A connection with the past. Yeah. Um, always wanting to sort of. Even though as we get older, we got to start letting go of some of the things that we, we used to be able to do, and right. that's not easy. Yep. Um, for me, this has been something that I've been able to continue with, and God willing, I'm going to continue to do it until I can't. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because I, it's actually not funny at all, but uh, 46, I'm going to be 46, and <clears throat> I've just had the last, especially the last two or three months, I've had just just it's almost like a like somebody tapping me on the shoulder like hey buddy you are not 26 you're not even 36 anymore you're 46 years old so stop thinking and it's been you know emotionally and mentally it's like it's it's hard to to look over your shoulder and, and see this ghost that's going dude slow down mm -hmm. and um i'm kind of struggling with that mm -hmm. it's not it's not fun no, and I, I think same thing with ball players whose time has come and they wanna they wanna stretch it out, they don't wanna give it up and all of a sudden they you know, they're going downhill. Yep. Um runners like a, a Bill Rogers or a Frank Shorter, they must look back and say, I used to be in the lead of all these events and now I'm lucky to hang on to the nine minute milers and that's that can be mentally debilitating for me. I wrote a book called The Last Pick because when right. I was a kid, I was always the last pick. And one of the chapters in there, the title is My Game, My Rules. And so <laughs> the way I live my life is that, you know, I may set these rules because it's my life and it's my game. And nobody, um, I'm not going to let anyone derail those aspirations of mine. But at the same time, the last chapter is called Changing the Rules. Mm. So I have to be more sensitive as I get older about changing the rules, maintaining a level of competitiveness in myself, but at the same time recognizing that if I continue along this path, I'm going to hurt myself and then 
you know, no longer be able to do any of it, let right. alone, you know, you know, just, just some of those goals that I've always had. Right. But a Bill Rogers or a Frank Shorter or a whoever, you know, they're not running or they're not only able to run nine minute miles because of their age, I suspect, but also just, I mean, how many the miles the have yeah. they, cause there's plenty of men or, or women in the women's division that are that age that can run a lot faster, mm-hmm. but they don't, but, but they, they, they came they to 40. running when they, when they were 40. Yeah. Yeah. And the odometers, that's the thing that comes and, and really lays the hammer yeah. down. Well, my goal is to push that out as far as possible. Yep. That's what I'm trying to do. And I, I mean, I, I know these things seem a little bit off the charts, but I, I do take care of myself yep. in between and make sure I rest when I need to rest and eat properly and do the right thing so that I can continue to do these, you know, extraordinary things. My, my next goal is to run the seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. That's in January. So that's sort of where my focus is right now. And about well, hang on one second. Yeah. How is that even possible? Uh, well, it's happened three times already in the last three years. Um, these a, aren't, or I mean, well, sorry, keep. I don't, yeah, I'm there's, lost. there's a gentleman in in England who um, started this whole program, and um, he uh, the first year there was fifteen. It's called the World Marathon Challenge, and yep. he got about fifteen people from around the world to sign up for it, and they did it. And then the second year there was about eighteen, and last year there was about thirty, and this coming year in January there'd be about thirty nine of us. And basically, you start off in Antarctica and then end up going to six other con- uh, continents and run seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. But it, So somebody flies you around. Yeah, you're on a chartered jet. Yeah. So you fly around. But you're running, because so, I watched a documentary once about where they ran on, on these ultras in all yeah. these extreme places, Antarctica and the, sub, and the Sahara and, mm-hmm. and, you know. But that's what I'm up, up to next. Um, and so what I did was about a month ago, I said, well, you know, I have to, before I commit to these kinds of things, I, I always use the motto that I have to earn the right to commit to it. Yeah. I don't want to just recklessly do it on right. a barroom bet. Yeah. So I want to see if I haven't run back to back to back marathons and since I was 30 years old. Yeah. So I went out <clears> and I ran a marathon on Sunday, a marathon on Monday, a marathon on Tuesday, a half on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and a marathon on Saturday. So I ran four marathons and three halves in seven days. Wait, this last week? About three weeks ago. Oh. And just felt <laughs> felt good. So I said, yeah. okay. I, I, and it wasn't, people said, you're starting your training already? And I said, no, I'm not starting my training. This is all about earning the right to do it. Yeah. You know, feeling that if I can't do it in my own backyard, how do I think I'm going to jump on airplanes and fly all over the world and do this? Mm. So <clears throat> at least I got a little nugget of how I feel and what shape I'm in right now in order to get in better shape to really do this yeah. in January. And you always have, whether because you, you ran across the country once, mm-hmm. you ran... Twice. Uh, which, by the way, you ran from Medford, Oregon, Oregon to, to Medford, Medford Massachusetts. Uh-huh. I read that. I, I yeah, thought, Medford, that Medford. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, a lot of people from your town should have done yeah, that. Yeah, I know. Uh, or their town. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you ran from here to... Or no, I'm sorry, from Florida to here, so you did the entire Eastern East Seaboard. Yeah. Y- you've... Uh, you know, so all, anyways, my point is all, in all of these, there's a strong charitable part. Like, so you, yeah. you're not saying I'm going to run across the country to prove that I can. I mean, it, whether it's the Jimmy Fund or Dana Farber or all the other charities that I know you've worked with, mm-hmm. um, that's always a big, a big part of what your motivation is, it seems. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a, um, it's a combination of a personal goal setting and with giving back and philanthropy. And you combine those two and, you know, the human body, you know, has far greater powers of adaptability and endurance than most people give it credit for. And you can get more out of yourself when you have a greater purpose for doing things too. Mm. So when I commit to a goal, I commit to it personally, but then if I can combine it with a, with a philanthropic purpose, then that, that commitment is cemented even more. Yeah. And then there's no looking back. That's the target. That's the magnet. That's going to get me out of bed every day and train for that event and keep me going out on the road. Yep. And it's worked. I've never failed at any of these things. Yeah. You so said far. the human body has far, far greater powers oh. of endurance and adaptability <clears throat> than most people give it yep. credit for. It was the accent. You threw me there for a second. I thought you were going to say the human body has five. And I was like, five? okay, I need to what know the, the five. <laughs> I need to know the five. Here's a little McAlbury wisdom. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, do you think, uh, and I, and I love this question and I think mm -hmm. about it, I don't think about it all the time, but I think about it a lot. Um, and forget the, the big Nike project that just took place a few weeks back. But do you think, and if you think so, at what point do you think we'll see a sub two hour marathon? And I mean a prop, like a real, ra yeah. your, your race or Berlin. Well, or back, back before the Nike project, you know, like three, four, five years ago when this was being discussed, I always felt that the only way that this can happen if it is, if it's set up, that is the purpose of the competition is to break two hours. It's, I never felt that it was ever going to happen in a competitive marathon because of topography, the weather, the strategy, just all of the above. And under the most ideal conditions, the way they set this up, mm. it still didn't get done. It was close, but it didn't get done. Um, and maybe someday it will by virtue of the fact that they learned through this. But it's still, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost like a test tube environment, you know, instead of just being out on the road in a Berlin, um, London, Boston, Chicago race. I don't, I don't ever see that happening in my lifetime in a competitive road race um, versus something staged. Right. Well, we're not, I mean, I'm just looking up here, the, you know, the, the world record in the marathon I mean, you're, yeah, people yeah, 202, think, 57. people, people see, uh, you know, high 202s and the, into the layperson, they're like, well, gosh, they're close. They're close. They're the average time is four hours. Golly gee. Three minutes. What's the big what's deal? What's the big deal? Yeah. Um, by the way, 20257, which is the world record. This is fucking, this is crazy. Average pace, 441. Right. Like if my, I had a gun to my head, I couldn't run right. 441. For one once, mile. For once. I know. But. Yeah, you see it. Uh, so now you have to run four thirty-four, I think, <clears throat> to break. Yep, two. But it, yeah, you figure at some point, you know. I think there are a lot of people that believe that'll happen sooner than we think, and I and I'm not in that camp. I don't. I don't. I don't think. I think so. it'll happen, but it'll happen we in won't a similar here. situation that it that they tried to do it a month ago. Well, our grandkids, yeah. might see it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. That's not a very optimistic view. Of, <laughs> of the, in other words, yeah, no, huh? Hmm. I don't know. I would. I would have. Yeah. I was surprised they got as close as they did the other day. Well, I, it was interesting because they polled about twenty or thirty of us in the industry and asked our opinion if we think anybody would break two. And of like forty of us, I think two people said yes. One <laughs> person would do it. Everyone else said no. Ever or the, the or the Nike project? The, the Nike project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would have been in in the, the the team of the thirty eight. Yeah, yeah. How many people run Boston? Thirty thousand. Thirty thousand capped at thirty thousand. Capped. You can't have more. No, we have no more real estate today than they had a hundred years ago when they had twenty mm, people. Right. Um. So we just can't fit them. Yeah. Um. Course is tighter. I've run. Well, I've done one Boston. Right. And so it, it's different than New York. It's much different, which, which is what makes it great. Yeah. Is it's, you know, it's, it's a tight unique, course. Tight, People are on you. Narrow, and, yeah. Yep. And there's not a lot of room out at the start in Hopkinton to stage people. It's tough to get them all out there in time. It's just what's the, what would be the benefit to try to jam it with a lot more people? It doesn't right. make sense. Mm. And by virtue of the fact that we have qualifying times, that's, the limiting factor anyways. Right, right. If we opened it up to anyone and everyone who wanted to run, we'd probably get 250, 300,000 people who would want to run it. I mean, that's how many people apply for Tokyo. That's how many people that apply for other marathons around the world, right. that many. So there are that many people who would, you know, in a heartbeat <coughs> come to Boston if they could just yeah. do it someday. Yeah. So yeah, we it's self-imposed cap. And who owns the marathon? The Boston Athletic Association, gotcha. which so is just a nonprofit, like in New York, right. New, New York, York Roadrunners, Road New York Roadrunners, right? So, the, would you call it the Boston what is it? Athletic Association? Boston Athletic Association, yeah. So that must be a tremendous. I mean, that's obviously they're a nonprofit, as I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yep. Just like in New York, the Roadrunners. I mean, I'd heard at one point, and you can tell me if this is a crazy number. I'd heard at one point that the New York City Marathon generates about seventy million dollars a year. Entry fees, sponsorships, uh, pack all the you know whatever. 
that's a that's a big number. Yeah. I th- you know, when I think of New York, and I'm using New York because I don't uh, intentionally because I don't want to ask you because I don't think you want to answer right. specifically about your race. Yeah, I probably don't even know myself, but oh, that's good. You know, the thing is, just anyone just sits back and do the math. Yeah. You know, in the sense of okay. 50,000 people, 60,000 yeah. people in New York times an entry fee of whatever it right. is, 250,000. And we know what we know what A6 pays and ING you know, pays, you, these big title sponsors. Whatever millions of dollars in sponsorship, and it just adds up. Yep. Because yeah. when I think of New York, I think of Fred LeBeau, yeah. their late great mm-hmm. race director who would run around in a cycling cap with the bill flipped up. And I, I just imagine people seeing this guy and all these skinny runners running 26 miles going, what, what is going on in the streets yeah. today? Yeah. And now you have a business, mm-hmm. a true business that in one day, or you know, pretty much one day, mm-hmm. Is generate. I mean, for any business to, to have seventy million a year in revenue is a bit. That's a big business. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I mean, most races now their budget, even local smaller smaller races, you know, five ten thousand person races. Yeah. I mean, their budget's well into the millions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think. I don't it's think big people. Business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How big's your staff to manage? BAA, there's um, twenty five, <clears throat> give or take, dedicated to the time, yeah. full time year round staff. Mm-hmm. Four events, the 5K, the 10K, the half, and the full. And then um, there's other activities. There's the um, there's the um, high-performance running team. There's the BA running club. There's youth programs. There's community outreach programs. So there's a lot going on other than just the marathon. I mean, obviously, yeah. the marquee is the marathon, but there's a lot more going on than meets the eye. Yep. Yeah. You, you have the Fenway Marathon coming up. Yes. So um, Which we talked about when you walked in because I read yeah. it. Yeah, I like that idea because yeah, I don't have to run on pavement. I could no. actually maybe get away with it. <laughs> but um, it's just again one of those things where it's kind of like a, you know, I've run into Fenway now five times. When I ran across the country, I finished in Fenway Park. When I ran up the East Coast, I ran into Fenway Park. When I did a, one of my birthday runs, I finished in Fenway Park. When Dick and Rick Hoyt, the father and son mm-hmm, team, sure. uh, biked and ran across the country, they finished in Fenway. I ran with them. And now we put on a race with the Red Sox called Run to Home Base, um, basically for the home base program at Mass General Hospital. That finishes in Fenway, so I ran that race once. So I've run into Fenway five times, and I always thought it would be kind of neat if you could put on a race totally within the, ma- within the park. And then I thought, well, a 5K, 10K is not going to do it. We're going to put on a marathon here. So then I approached the Red Sox and the Red Sox Foundation, and they agreed to allow me to do it and so we're going to do it this coming september 15th mm. limit it to 50 people and um you know it's going to be a pretty unique experience yeah yeah a lot of laps might get a little dizzy could could be a little boring was it a, how many how many laps is it 100, 112 112 yeah <clears throat> yeah well if you ran around a high school track, that that would that would take you to well a quarter mile it's like a quarter mile track it's yeah. a little little less than a quarter little, mile yeah the wanting track yep. so it's as if you're doing it on on a track yep just a little bit a little bit more fans can, or families yeah can, people yeah can. spectators come in and watch we can put the red sox are playing that night away i think tampa bay so we put the red sox game on while you're Perfect. running yeah watch the game while you're out yeah. running yeah so why would you be bored i meant to say it earlier and 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 uh if, if i did say it and completely forgot it then just punch me and you don't have to sing but uh, the the other cool thing about you is you run after everybody finishes in Boston. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose it's after the last finisher is done. You then run the course, and I've mm-hmm. I've seen I've been at the finish and yeah. seen you at the finish a time or two. Um, but you you know you're out there. At, what time do you normally start? You start at five six five or six five or six o'clock. And it's at nine <clears> ten. Yeah. Well, you know it all. You know you don't have to do that. I don't have to, <laughs> but again, it's a matter of. I made a commitment to do it years and years ago yeah. when uh, I ran my first Boston. I was 17 years old, and um, you know I had I hadn't run a marathon before. Furthest I'd run is 11 miles, so I decided I was going to run the race. You had to be 18, so I guess I was non-official entrant that year. So I called up my grandfather who lived right near the course, and I said, "Hey, Graham, I'm going to go run this race in you know in Boston." He goes, "Oh, they call it." The- the Boston Marathon. I said, okay, that's a great name. I'm going to go run it. So he said, well, I'll meet you at Coolidge Corner. And I said, great, where's that? He said, 24 miles. Fine. 
So my brother drove me to the start. I took off and run and run. And I got to the hills in Newton and down I go flat out. Got taken to the Newton Wellesley Hospital in an ambulance. Finally, my parents come pick Wait me up. Wait a minute, down. Just, 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 I just exhausted. Just, just exhausted. Yeah. I went down. Yeah. So I get dragged into the hospital. My parents picked me up, drove me home. I called my grandfather. No answer. Called him again. No answer. Finally, 9 o'clock at night, I said, Grandpa. He answered the phone. I said, Grandpa, where have you been? He goes, Dave, where have you been? I've been waiting all night for you. The old man Kelly goes by. Street sweepers go by. No Dave. And I said, well, I, I failed. I quit. He goes, nah, you didn't quit. I said, no, what did I do? He said, you, you learned. I said, what did I learn? He said, you learned you cannot go along in life and set reckless goals. You had no business being in that race. You're right. He says, I cut another deal with you. I said, what? He says, you train. Now, there's a novelty. You train for it next year, and I'll be waiting for you. I said, fine. So I trained like crazy. I was 18. I was running 120, 130 miles a week. I was ready to go. And the day before the race, I got sick. My parents said, you can't run. I said, I got to run. I got a newspaper saying, Dave, run, running in memory of grandfather. And they said, they said, you can't. You're too sick. I said, can you give me something that very few other people have ever given me? And they said, what's that? I said, a chance. Hmm. Just let me try. I said, yeah, I don't feel good today, but tomorrow's a different day. Okay, fine. So they drove me out to the start, and I took off and got the five miles. And I was like, Ugh, this is awful. I kept going. I kept going. And finally, I got to the hills in Newton where I dropped out the year before, and I'm doing the survivor's shuffle over the hills. And I got to 21 and a half after Boston College, and down I go again. Dropped out again, second year in a row. I said, what a loser, right? I, I can't get anything right. I'm the last pick, last one cut. Drop out of my first boss and drop out of my second. And all of a sudden, a defining moment happened, and I looked behind me, and this place looked familiar. And right behind me was the Evergreen Cemetery, and I saw my father, my grandfather's tombstone, and that son of a gun said he'd be there waiting for me. And he wasn't there physically, but he was there mm. spiritually. And mm. I said, "Well, he kept his end of the deal. I got to keep my end of the deal." And I picked myself up and I kept going, and I finished in four and a half hours. I said. On that day in 1973, I was going to run this race every year for the rest of my life in honor and tribute to the lesson my grandfather taught me about earning the right to do this. So I ran it for 15 years in a row, and then when I got off at the job to direct it, I was like, ah, what do I do? How, how can I do both? Yeah. I said, ah, I need the money. I'll take the job. So I took the job, <laughs> and then I'm standing right here at the finish line of the marathon, and everyone's finishing, and I felt awful that I wasn't running. So I tapped a state police trooper on the shoulder. I said, officer, do me a favor. He goes, what's that? I said, will you drive me back to the start? He said, why, did you forget something? I said, yeah, I forgot to run. So he drove me back to the start, and I took off at 8 o'clock at night, and I finished at 11, and I was dead last. And I said, and I've done that for the last 30 years in a row. I've been the last finisher of my own race for the last 30 years in a row. So I've run it 45 years in a row. Yeah, that is just... See, I, I, <clears throat> I just figured you... Uh, uh, did it because you you do some crazy things like that. I didn't know the the history of that. Yeah, which is so every time I run by that cemetery, special special to listen to. There he is. Wait, yeah, you know. And the hills and when you you reference the hills in Newton twice, we're talking. You know, the, the, there's a series of hills. Yeah. Um, the first one is because Heartbreak Hill, which is the most famous one, is not it's the last. first. It's right. Last. There's actually four hills, if you will. One is the grade that's going over one twenty eight which is right at mile 16. It's almost like an optical illusion. You really don't know you're going up because there's so many people there, but you're going up and you're going up and you're going up. And that one, that one is the one that's the wear and tear. Mm -hmm. Then once you pass uh, the Newton Wellesley Hospital, then you take a right onto Commonwealth Ave. And then you start Brayburn Hill and then the next hill. And so what the reason why they call it Heartbreak Hill is that where Tazian Brown passed Johnny Kelly to that's win what, the race. That's what I was getting 1930s. to. 1930s, right. yeah. But people think Heartbreak Hill is the first one, and it isn't. And they think it's the Heartbreak Hill because it's the hardest, and and, yeah. and your heart's pumping, and and they they think that's where it got its name. Right. And the true story, which you can tell, is is yeah. so much better. Yeah. And just the fact that you know Johnny was winning the race at that time, he was going to go on to his third victory, and he got passed by Tazian Brown and. In the Boston Globe the next year, it says Tazian Brown breaks Johnny's heart, and then it got coined Heartbreak Hill. But what's what's interesting about mm. it today is that people think that first hill is Heartbreak, and it isn't. And then they think the next one is Heartbreak, and it isn't. And that's why the third one is, and that breaks everyone else's heart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because they just think that they already got it done twice before. Right. Yeah. That's yeah, a cool scene running Ooh. through there. I uh, I enjoyed it the year that I yeah uh, I ran. And then through college and, you know, or to the campus there where the girls... Yeah, Wellesley. You kiss, Wellesley, kiss yeah, the, yeah. The, the runners. That ain't bad. No. 
That ain't bad. Um, so you got to see the documentary. We just come out with a documentary uh, called Boston, and it's the history of the Boston Marathon. Oh, yeah. And, in fact, um, Matt Damon did the uh, did the voiceover for the whole right. thing, and then they had the Boston Symphony Orchestra do the music in the background, and so all the iconic mm-hmm. runners from the past, Billy and Joni and Ambi <laughs> and Rob DeCosteller and Rosa Motor and uh, just... Just everyone from the past, you know, Johnny and stuff is in the movie. It's it's pretty inspiring for at least those of us who, who. When, it, when is that film. coming out? It it, it ha- they already had two showings already. Okay, screenings. You know, yeah, yeah, all over the country and in, in um, about six hundred theaters in the United States. The la- you know, in the last month or so, they're going to okay. probably have another showing of it coming. I wonder out if too. it's on. And the the regular listeners of the show know that I'm obsessed with documentaries. Oh, really? So I love <clears throat> every week. Pretty much every week, I'm talking about some new documentary I watched, yeah. or some, or I have a guest on that's that's been in, or directed, or, or written, or been behind a documentary. Um, I just love love documentaries. Mm-hmm. I very rarely see feature films, and I, I just would rather, you know, see what you just described. Like I'll send you some clips from it. You'll like it a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's it like traveling? I mean, you obviously travel a mm-hmm. lot, and um, I guess <clears throat> in the last four or five years, but before the bombing, you would have seen a lot of people with. Boston Marathon T-shirts or the jackets or the mm-hmm. stuff, the swag that they get or that they've gotten here. Mm-hmm. That you know, obviously, and then that, then um, you know, in in 2013, it became different, right? Mm-hmm. You, you had Boston Strong and people uh, unifying around that, but must be a before we get to the bombing because I think mm-hmm. that's a that's a different discussion. Um, you know, it must make you feel awfully proud to see, you know, your your race. Yeah, you know. Well, it is interesting. I was just in Lincoln, Nebraska, doing a keynote talk there, and yeah. then I was in Fargo, North Dakota, doing one there. And well, you're hitting all the nice spots. Oh, the great destination locations. No um, offense to the listeners no, in great. Fargo no. and Lincoln. No, but I actually great like races. Lincoln. I've, I've been to Lincoln. I they're like great them. races. They're great events. Great people. Um, but it is interesting because you know you get branded <laughs> somewhat. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, I am not the Boston Marathon. I'm one of several people that oversee it. You know, I'm just a caretaker. It was here way before I was born, and it'll be here way after I'm gone, and I'm just taking care of it for a while. So anything that happens to it wherever I travel, then obviously people look at me and as they would others and uh, identify you with all of that. Yep. And so, um, you know, I just think that good overcame evil and people rallied and what occurred in 2014 uh that marathon was epic with meb winning and yep um he had the three names of the those who died in the bombings on his um bib number and it was just you couldn't have written a better story um and so i think that's what people are taking away is how we have persevered and recovered so when you go talk if you're talking wherever you're talking yeah this talk you're talking you know you're Mm -hmm. referencing Mm -hmm. you're you're speaking a lot about or mostly about that day yeah it april 15th 2013 yeah if people if people are asking i mean i try not to use that i mean there's a I have a lot of stories, so that happens to be just one of many. Yeah, but Dave, that's like me I don't giving a talk and right. not, not not talking Talk about being a cancer survivor. Right, right. right People right. be like, "What? What happened mm-hmm. to the cancer part?" No, like, so that's exactly. a, that's a, that's a that was a, a, a significant and pivotal moment in mm-hmm. in everybody's life of the yeah. city. Yeah. Well, what happened to me, interestingly, um, you know that. The the year before it was the hot year it was two two thousand twelve and we were Anna Anna ran that year and it yeah, was and yeah. we were standing yes and I think we've had this discussion it was really hot right we were it was miserable miserable I, I was yeah. spectating but we were standing right there there so right a there. year later yeah. yeah right there and it's right. right and so and so we needed a good year mm. so two thousand thirteen came and it was great the weather was perfect everything was working great at the start it was great i could on the lead motorcycle it was great the course was set up it was great across the finish line i walked around the service area all my team captains everything it was great and so i texted the executive director of the marathon and uh i said hey everything's going smooth um it's getting near that time is it okay if i head out and he said yeah beat it go ahead so i went to the start to do my run 
And then I'm standing literally on the starting line, and all of a sudden my phone rings, and I got a call saying that there were two explosions at the finish line. So I thought I was a generator here. I mean, I didn't think bombs. That was the furthest thing from my mind. But then I realized something bad happened. I got to get back. So state police drove me back, going like 100 miles an hour down the Mass Turnpike. I get to Boylston Street. Everything had been evacuated. It looked like, you know, Afghanistan, for for crying out loud. And um, so the first thing I did, I went right into the medical tent to see what was going on there. And, you know, I had gone in there earlier in the afternoon and there was hardly any business going on and now it was full but not of runners so then i said i gotta go find my family because my eight and eight-year-old son and daughter and wife were sitting in the bleaches and i didn't know where these bombs went off yep. could have been where them. phones were could you call no nope, the phones? cell service was knocked out so wow so nothing i had no means of communication with my family so i was heading up to the finish line to find my family and i police officer stopped me and he says, where are you going? And I said, I'm going up to the finish line to see my family. He says, you can't go up there. I said, well, I'm the race director. Here's my ID. He says, it's not your race anymore. And I realized, <laughs> you know, that became a crime scene and I couldn't go up there and I couldn't find my own family. I didn't know whether they were dead or alive. And so it was just a very, very uh, stressful time, yeah. right? So, um, so the best I could do is to go the other direction to help 6,500 runners that were stopped and to try to decide what to do with these people because they wanted to get their gear and get out of there, but the gear was in the security area and they wouldn't, weren't allowed to come into the security area for fear that their other bombs were going to go off. But I said, we got to get these, this gear to these people and they're not going to leave. So uh, the police wouldn't let us go get it, let them come in and get it. So I said, well, if I commandeer half a dozen volunteers and we go in, get get these get the gear off the buses. So they let us go in and we got all 5,000 bags off the buses. Wow. People got their gear and they were able to leave the area. But about a couple of days later, when I finally was able to go home, I went up to my eight-year-old son and he gave me a hug and he said, uh, hey, Dad, I never want you to direct that race again. Wow. So... You know, he associated danger now with my job. Mm. You know, it used to be chalk mark in the road. <laughs> Y'all go. Right. Everyone had fun, family, fun, friendly. And yeah. now... Don't forget to drink. Yeah. yeah. Now it's now it's something very different. Right. And uh, so it was difficult because, you know, there were a lot more people than those who were hurt physically that were profoundly impacted by this. Mm. And it was tough to just to sort of balance it all so about two three months later he come up to me after we all started healing a little bit and he said dad remember i told you i never want you to direct that race again i said yeah look i remember he goes you know why i said why he says because i want to direct it now uh <laughs> so he 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 came full circle right which made me feel good i said if he can recover from this i can recover from this so it was interesting 2014 was interesting because the day after the bombing there were some runners who said then not coming back to this place again. And then it just all flipped. And then we had, you know, really cha- a real challenge on our hands because more people wanted to come here to do this for obvious reasons. They wanted to not be denied their running freedom and, and you know, all, all about solidarity in the sport. So we had a tough time trying to determine, you know, conceptual, trying to conceptualize what 2014 would look like. Because all the people that didn't, Finish. We were not able back. to finish. You we had invited uh, back, you them felt, back. Felt obliged. Then right. we increased the field size by another nine thousand to bring it to thirty-six thousand. Gotcha. Then you add a whole different layer of security now to it all, mm. and you just, you know, you have you have a monster on your hands as to how do I manage all of this? Yeah. So it was like starting all over again. You know, even though the race was one hundred and eighteen years old or whatever it was, um, I, from my perspective, I didn't know what I could or couldn't do anymore. So there was a whole new normal. And could I put that truck here, put that tent there? No, we're, we're not sure. We're working on the plan. So even this year, four years later, we had about 7,500 um, law enforcement officials involved in the event. I mean, that is, is as many people <laughs> than we had in the race 25 years ago. Yep. And that's just law enforcement. Right. And so, most of them probably focused towards the, the, the end, tail end of yeah, the event. Yeah, yeah. But but, get, but but they're everywhere, right. you know, and, and not, not because anything has happened in the last four years, but because of what's going on in the world. Right. So everything that's going on in the world impacts how we do business in our event. Hmm. 
you know, everything from, I mean, now they're worried about the lone gunmen. They're worried about people driving their vehicles onto the course right, and right. running people over. I mean, I, you know, I used to wake up the morning of a race and just worry about running out of water or people going the wrong way or something, right? Yeah. Now, Taking I wake- Taking course markings away and they make a yeah. wrong turn. And now I'm, I'm worried about people dying of cardiac arrest because so many people are doing this stuff now that maybe should be checked up first or I'm thinking about, you know, terrorists and it's just, it's a whole different, it's a whole different ball. Right. Game but if you thought too much it. about that, you wouldn't, you'd be oh, you tough. wouldn't survive. You, you wouldn't, wouldn't get, yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't but get but you can't, to the you can't ignore it either. No. You know, cause it's, it's omnipresent. It's everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. And, yeah. and I probably spend, when I used to spend 90% of my time working on the logistics of the race itself, I probably spent that percentage of time just working with law enforcement. Yep. And which is what makes it interesting. I mean, what, what you just said, so you have an event, I mean, 108 or however many years ago, 120 years ago that it started, probably had 10 people or something. So mm. now you have 30 something thousand, right? So that's what makes it, you you just touched on two things. You With 30 something thousand people, you can't be guaranteed that everybody really should be there. Whether they've trained, whether they have they have a pre-existing condition that might just flare up that day. But then with 30 something thousand people in this city, it makes it a target. Right. right? And so makes it a target. But at the same time, that is what, and we talked about this when you walked in uh, before we started, just the uh, how attractive these events have become. And, and we talked about Iron Man and and Iron Man being bought from by by the Chinese group Wanda, spending mm -hmm. hundreds of millions of dollars, which you know, you've done 10 Ironmans or 11 Ironmans. I mean, when you were there in the early years and you, somebody, uh, you know, said, hey, buddy, guess what? This event's going to sell for $700 million yeah. in, in the year 2015. Yeah. You never would have believed it. You never would have mm. believed it. Mm. Mm. But it's happening. Yeah. Because. Well, I think what it's what's happened in the sport is that back in the 70s, it was all about competition and people just out there, you know, you could go to a race, I'd go to a race and I'd go one, two, three, four, five, six, I'm going to finish seventh. I mean, I knew everyone. I knew what shape they were in and what shape I was in, and we were just out there to bang heads. That was it. No timing chips, no. No, we just, but but we were just out there to hammer. It wasn't like, I hope I finish. It was like, how fast and what place? That's yeah. what it was. Now, the walls of intimidation have crumbled. People are believing in themselves. Philanthropy entered the space, yep. made it a whole different reason to participate. People get off the couch, and now it's all about one thing and one thing only. In my mind, it's all about... Raising a level of self-esteem and self-confidence of people. You know, it was funny. Years ago, I used to be asked what I did for a living. I used to mumble, <coughs> I'm a race director. You know, you're what? <coughs> I'm a race director. I was embarrassed. <laughs> like a race director. Your brother uh, works for the blind. Your sister's a social worker. Your other sister's a nurse. Your other brother's a CFO. Dave's a race director. Like, what the heck do you do? <laughs> and now when people ask me what do I do for a living, I say I help raise the level of self-esteem and self-confidence of tens of thousands of people in America. That's your answer? That's my answer. Because <laughs> that's what we do. And that's what goes on out there in the world right now. That's why people are doing it. Because they're able to sort of, you know, the toughest part about running a marathon is signing the application. So once you sign it and you make the commitment, you earn yeah. the right and you toe the line, you answer the gun, you run the course, you cross the finish line, you get your medal, you go home, you go home feeling good about yourself. Yeah. There is nothing on You may the not end. feel good, but you go home feeling Mentally you yeah. do, yeah. not physically. But, but that, the, the physical part, you'll heal. But the mental part, you're going to stay stronger. Hmm. You know, and then that just incentivized people to say, if I can do this, I can do that. Yeah. And it just, it, it, it feeds on itself. Yeah. That's what's going on in this industry now. And when the race finishes, okay, mm -hmm. well, well, actually, you're the, when your yeah, race last, finishes, yeah. um, when do you have to start? And obviously you said you have a, a 5K, the 10K, the half, yeah. and then the, but when do you, when does the prep for the marathon begin again? It actually starts, people say to me, is that a 12 month? a year job. I said, no, it's like 15 months. Right. Oh, what do you mean? I said, because I start working on next year's race well before this year's race yeah. begins because it's a learning process leading up to the race. All of a sudden, you know, you do things leading up to this year's race and you say, oh, next year, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this different. So you're already working on next year. Yeah. So I'm always, I'm always working. I mean, when I go out for a run, I'm always working. I run, people run with a, uh, like, uh, um, like headphones on and stuff like that, listen to music. I run with a voice recorder. That's That's a, what that do. is old school. I run with a voice recorder. I've been doing that for 40 years. Just just small update. Your phone, yes. which people yes. listen to music on, As a you voice. can also record. Yes, and I run voice. with that. I, ever since my health scare, I run with my phone now. Yeah. But, um, so you can record. 
because I come up with my best thoughts when I'm out on the road. Yep. No distractions, yep. deep, deep, deep thought, and I squeeze everything out of my head that's there that yep. otherwise wouldn't come out unless I was out on the road. And I come up with my best thoughts. I wrote my book out on the road. I, I direct the Boston Marathon out on the road. I take care of my kids out on the road because I come up with all those great thoughts, record them, get home, write them down, and I do them. Yeah. It's interesting I because I spent a few years running a lot and not writing at all. Mm. And I always had <clears throat> exactly what you just described. I had, and in the old days, I had this little Sony voice recorder. Oh, you did? Yes. That's what it, it is. That's why Mine's I chuckled. Sony. Yeah. Mine's Sony. It, it's, and so I would, in that in those days, I would stick it in my pocket, and if I had a thought, I'd, I'd talk into it. And But anyways, point is, is I did so much thinking then. And then as I started to run, you know, not, the hours were obviously less, but uh, still tough endurance activity. Mm -hmm. I never got in the space. Right. I never. I could never get in that space where I was just out there. I was just in my own little boardroom. Yeah. I couldn't do it. <laughs> and now that I've gone back to writing, I'm back in the boardroom. Back there. It's weird. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's you know that's running's your thing, cycling my thing, and it just I couldn't. I just couldn't get. I uh, couldn't get it. Well, if I want to, someone says, "Will you write an article on such and such a subject?" I'll say, "Yeah." And then I'll say, well, let me go out for a run, and I'll come up with a lot of good ideas, and when I come back, I'll be able to write the article. Yeah. But without going out for that run, I'm not sure I can come up with any good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned, you touched on it just yeah. a second ago, yeah. um, your health scare, yeah. and because I, I wanted to get into that, but, yeah. but before we get into it, it, with any scare, you could have tendinitis, mm. you could have right. uh, uh, you know, knee surgery or hip replacement, or, or you, in your case, had, uh, had a, uh, a heart issue. So obviously that took you you know, off the trail, off the road. Like it, it, for me, if they said just for me, it, me being me, I mean, if they said you can't do anything for X amount of months, I would go crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be people around me would be miserable. Yeah. I would be miserable. Right. I wouldn't have my boardroom. Right. Yeah. I'm sure you went through the same. Well, what happened with me is, um, first, what happened? To okay. The, what was the heart situation? Okay. So, you know, I've run about 150,000 miles. I've run 140 <laughs> marathons, run across the country a couple of times, done nine Ironman, all this stuff. So, of course, when you're doing all that, you have this sense that you're invincible. Um, you know, no kryptonite in my life. Um, you know, I can pretty much do anything I want. Um, but I, went, I was out running, and I could feel this difficulty, labor, breathing. Just breathing. Over time or? Uh, over time, you know, like over time, you know, over about a year period of time. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, it's the cold weather, it's the hot weather, it's the way I tie my shoes, it's what I ate, what I didn't <laughs> eat, not enough sleep, I slept too much, whatever. So I started controlling all the variables, and nothing was really giving me a good indication. So I went to the Mass General Hospital, and I had every test known to man, pulmonary test, echocardiogram, stress test, EKGs, everything. And basically all the doctors said the same thing, there's nothing wrong with you. I said, there is something wrong with me, I can't breathe when I'm exercising. So I said, you got to do me a favor. You got to look under the hood. <laughs> you got to give me the big boy tests. So the real test, the real test, yeah. and the real test was a CAT scan and then a angiogram. So I'm lying on the operating table in the hospital, and they did an angiogram, and then the doctor comes in and he goes here and here and here and here and here. I was a mess, and I, huh. I, I was like, how'd this happen? Um, you know, I said, what do I have, six months? What do I got? And he goes, well, I, we're not sure. Let's, we're going to have to look at this further. And I said, well, I have, I have one question to ask you. And he said, what? I said, is this reversible? Because <clears throat> he said I had severe coronary artery disease. And uh, he said, well, it depends. I said, it depends on what? He said, it depends on the person. I said, well, you're looking at him. <clears throat> it's me. You know, and he said, well, you and your discipline. And he says, yeah, I believe it is. I will sign me up. Like, what do I got to do? That was October 9th, 2013. 2013 was a bad no, year. Not a good year. Not a good year for me. So uh, so stress, lack of sleep, sure, not eating properly, all that kind of stuff. Because I always thought, maybe not like everyone, but I, I'm old school and I, I'm meat and potato guy. And so I always thought if it, the furnace is hot enough, it'll burn. And if I go out and do a 20-mile run, I can go home and have a little ice cream or this or a steak or something because it's a reward. I earned it. Wrong. I, and I don't like hearing I, what I'm hearing. I broke the rules. I don't like any of this. No, I broke the rules. No, I, but I don't like any yeah. of this. Yep. So because I that's the way I roll. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, I broke the rules. I broke the rules. It's not fair. I know it isn't. It's not fair because we earned this. And over time, over 50 years, it kind of just added up. Now, that combined with genetics, because, sure. you know, I have predisposed to this, you know, in the family. Grandfather died of a heart attack. My dad died of an aortic stenosis. My brother has a stent. My, you know, whatever, high cholesterol. It's just what it is. So you put those two together and you're off the charts. So I changed everything. I got off that, t that operating table. I changed everything, my stress and eating habits, everything else, the way I ate, what I ate, when I ate, you know, took dietary supplements, did all kinds of different things. Then I said, I'm going back to Hawaii. I'm going to make the Iron Man my target, my magnet to go after. And I get asked for something I've never been asked for in my life from the Iron Man. Know what they asked me for? A note from my doctor. Uh. <laughs> I said, a note from my doctor. This right. is Dave. You know, I've done, right. I've done this before, you know, before anyone else was doing it. I did it in 1980, you know, and they said, oh, well, we don't want you to go down in the lava fields. And so I went to my doctor. That happened said, when you're a $700 million organization, then they want the doctor. I understand, yeah. yeah. So I went to my cardiologist and I said, they need a note from you. Will you give me a note? He goes, no. I said, well, what do you mean you won't give me a note? He goes, because I'm not sure you're ready yet. And I said, well, let's keep on going. Let me keep doing what I'm doing. And then let, let's do another angiogram. He said, fine. So I worked for five, six, seven months, bang, 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 running, biking, swimming. Remember, I, I even no, emailed yeah, we you. we talked about the I, bike. I, 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 I crashed on my bike yep. and broke my two ribs yep. four weeks before um, Ironman. And I called you and I said, I just broke my ribs. Yep. <laughs> Can I, I do this? He goes, well, you're going to be hurting. I said, well. Broken ribs hurt. And they, they, take, they take they, forever to heal. They hurt. And I said, well, um, I said, either I can rest or I could continue to work out and at least acclimate myself to that type of pain. Yep. And that's what I chose. I chose that route because I said, it's going to hurt me that's, in the eye. That's a man. real shocker that you chose that one. Yeah. I just said, I <laughs> <laughs> so, so I went and I had another angiogram and I reversed my coronary artery disease by over 50% on my own, wow. on, on my own. own, on my own. But that's going to be mostly diet. That was all diet. That's mainly so meat diet. and potatoes before. Yep. I just got rid of red meat. I got rid of alcohol. I got rid of soda. I get rid of all sugar, fats. Just and people say to me, "What's your diet? You're on a vegan diet. You're this diet." That. I said, "No, no, no, no. I'm on a let your conscience be your guide diet because hmm. we all know. Yeah. Oh, I shouldn't eat this, but you know that's what right. people do, right? Right. So it's just like I all I did was cut out. I cut out all the bad stuff. Just don't put anything bad in your mouth. And I haven't had a soda or a, a beer. Um, you know, not that I can't, but I haven't. Because I said, another thing I, I said to myself. But it's not a religion. It, right? No, it's... no. But I said, I put myself in this damn position. Hmm. And I, I put myself in this mess. And I, I actually punished myself. I know that sounds silly, but I was really angry with myself for hmm. doing this to me. I said, you got all those people out there in the world, the obese people and stuff. God bless them and everything else. I said, I ran across the country. I've done this. And... and and I have severe coronary artery disease. Yep. Like, what's up with that? Yep. And I said, I got to fix this thing. Yep. And I fixed it. And my, my um, breathing problem went away. And I've run probably 20 marathons since. And I'm going to do 777. Seven, seven, yep. And my birthday runs. And if I didn't get checked, if I wasn't persistent. So my lesson for everyone yep. is just because you're fit doesn't mean you're healthy. Right. I thought it did. I thought it did. And I've got emails and from people all over the country saying they heard about that story and they realized they had a similar situation. They went in to the doctor, had an angiogram, and walked out with three stents. Hmm. And they write me and they say, you helped save my life. I said, I didn't save your life. You saved your own life. They said, but I wouldn't have gone in there if I didn't hear. If it can happen to you, it can happen. You know. yep. I said, well, what can I tell you? Yeah. So I'm good. That's so cool. I mean, that's, uh, mm. I mean it's not cool, actually. Um, I don't know that I, I would, uh, well, I don't know how I would react to that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you though. I, 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 the same way. I mean, I, I, I eat the way you just described that you used to eat and I felt <laughs> like you just sort of earned it. I did. I had Rip Esselstyn on the podcast oh, yeah. maybe a couple months ago and we talked a lot about a plant-based diet yeah. and cholesterol and these different levels. So I went and got all my stuff. I check. told Rip on the podcast. I said, I will go get it checked and, and I'll call you immediately and read you all the things. And so... Um, and I don't, the only, and I'm not making an excuse because mm -hmm. I'm going to have a steak tonight and a couple glasses of Good wine. You. Um, well, but I don't have that in my family. Yeah. And so, so far, knock on wood, you yeah. know, those You're levels okay. are, you know, I'm, I'm okay. But not everyone is. But I have other problems. 
you know, I got a bad psoas and I had cancer and, you know, I might have it again at some point. You get it. That's my problem. I'm seven o'clock tomorrow morning. I'm having blood work done again. Yeah. Yeah. Every six months. Good luck. I got to check. I got to check. I got to check. Good luck. Yeah. I want to talk about Catherine Switzer before we, before I let you go and you got to go fight Boston traffic. But I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't know that story until this year. Oh yeah. 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 And she just uh, emailed me this morning. Yeah. Good. Write her when you write her back. Yeah. Tell her you spent the afternoon with okay. me. Okay. And that yeah. you I would love to have her on the podcast. Okay. You, you represent me on that? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, but what a crazy story. You know, it, you, I mean, of thirty thousand runners, what percentage today or this year, next year will be women? Oh, almost fifty percent. Fifty percent. So back when and she, this was in nineteen seventy or no what? she was in sixty Sixty-seven, sixty-eight. Sixty-seven. Yeah. So she, women were not allowed to run, right? Which well, there weren't sounds. That, there weren't that many of them who wanted to either. Right. So it wasn't like there were t- thousands and thousands who wanted yeah. to. It's just that they weren't. Yep. And then there was just this whole thing about because they weren't, they weren't allowed. Yep. And then and then Bobby Gibb ran unofficially the year before. So Catherine wasn't the first woman to run the Boston Marathon. She was the first one to run with a bib number. Right. And get right. pulled off. And get pulled physically off. pulled off the course. She finished. She finished the oh, race. She did. Oh, I thought yeah, she yeah. was yanked. He, he tried to, but her boyfriend was running next to him. Uh-huh. Her at the time, so he he was a shot putter or something. So he yeah. gave Jock Simple a little bit of a shot put and pushed pushed him right off the course. And she kept on and she finished. Yeah, we looked her up after that happened, and I thought I, I have to have this woman on the podcast. Mm. As I told I told Higgs. I said, let's find this woman. Yeah. And uh, we looked it up, and she lives in uh, New Hampshire and Auckland, New Zealand. New Zealand. I was like, yeah. hmm, yeah. it may be a minute until we yeah. go sit with her. Yeah. She's just, she's overseas right now. I think. Switzerland. She just emailed me and said she's giving a talk in Switzerland. Yeah, she should be else. giving a lot of talks. She is. She should be giving some talks in America. Yeah. So she's all over Actually. the place. So she came back this year, um, her 50th anniversary of yeah. her, her first run. And she's 70 years old. And uh, she did it in like four, I think she ran like 440 or something yep. like that. Not bad. Not bad. And um, the so, average time is four hours. Is that right? Roughly? For Boston? No, for marathoning? Mar- marathons. Probably little, even a little slower than even that. Even slower, okay. I bet you you're in the 415 range. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, she's pretty much, she's an inspiration. Um, we, you know, did a lot when she was here, you know, set it all up properly for her. She got a lot of, obviously, publicity and, yep. you know, she's done a lot for the women's movement and, in you know, she's a big reason why there are so many women running in races now. In fact, most of the races that I do direct, I direct about 32 a year. Most of them now have more women in it than mm. men. Mm. It's probably in that, it's like a... 55, 45, 60, 40% range yeah. now. More women than men. And just so the listener's clear, because the, the four that, that the Boston Athletic yeah. Association does, yeah. are those you, you put those on, but outside of that, your yeah. company's a separate, yeah. it's not BAA, it's, right. I'm it's a consultant, DMS, DMSE. Right, DMSE. So, so those are the other yes. events, right. Like Falmouth, yep. Joni's Race. Joni's Race, I read that. Yeah, I didn't know that you did that until I read that Yeah, um, I did that from, from day one. Uh, this is the 20th running of that race. Yeah, she's a sweetheart. Yeah. The Bell and Run out in Green Bay, there's 20,000 in that. I do a 25,000-person race over the Chesapeake. In fact, Ironman just bought out this race um, called the Across the Bay 10K in um, Annapolis, Maryland. Hmm. And I helped get that started. And first year event, we had 20,000 people run over the Chesapeake Bay Bridge and then 25,000 people. So Ironman just actually bought that out. And I'm still directing it, though. So. Ironman's there. They're... Um they're not yeah uh, my sense is that the actual full iron man and half iron man events are flat if not down and that's not my sense that's a fact they're flat yeah. if not down yeah. um and so they are looking you know whether it's and you just hear these things right so whether it's buying cape epic or buying yeah. it's really a diverse catalog of things they're just going to go pick and choose from I think the to to, MO from Wander is numbers. Right. Grow numbers. the business. You know, you, you just yeah. numbers. Yeah. You know, you buy an event that has 25,000 people in it. That's that's 10 Ironman races. Yep. I mean, we're not talking the, the degree of difficulty of the event. We're talking pure warm bodies. How many bodies are we touching? Yep. So you put on one 10K road race 
and you, you hit 25,000 people versus yep. you got to do 10 Ironman to hit 25,000 yep. people. Makes sense. Yep. Does the obstacle course phenomenon continue or does it, is it, is this a fad? I, I, I don't know if it's a fad in a sense of that it's here and gone. I think that it morphs into something else. I don't know what that vision is. Nobody knows. But I don't. Who would have thought we did that? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's going to turn into something else. But um, I don't, it's not a lifestyle in my opinion. Right. That's why I could have entered that space too and made a lot of money really fast too, but that's not where my passion was. So I decided to stay the course, continue to do what I do with these road races and triathlons and all that kind of stuff and not get into those events that, that, um, you know, the Spartan races, the warrior dash and all that kind of stuff. You know, back when muddy buddy with Babbitt and and company, you know, I mean that, that sort of was the the start of all of that. You know, and I never, even then when Babbitt was doing those, I was like, that's never, that's never going to work. Hmm. And there's a lot of reasons why it does, you know, and just gets people, again, the way I look at it is it's going to get people off the couch that I might not have been able to get off to do my road race, but they're intrigued by this because of the social environment and a lot of other reasons. But then a lot of those people, once these events go away, or after a period of time, you can only crawl over so many walls and through so much mud, mud. you know, and then you're going to say, okay, I got to, I got to do something else. Then they may, may come over to our side of the fence and become a customer of ours. So I'm all, I'm all for them doing these things. Yeah. <laughs> well, one thing I did a few weeks ago, I was at an event in Charlotte and my children were there and they did, you know, I will give Spartan credit and, and, yeah. and, and Joe DeSena is a genius when it, cause he just said, well, let's do some really crazy stuff. And it worked. It worked. Um, but, they had a kid's Spartan race. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you something. I mean, my kids, you could have told them, you know, you could go to Disneyland, you could go to a movie, race. you could go get a bunch of ice cream. You could, this was the most fun sure. that they've, I mean, you couldn't get them off the course. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when it comes to that, yeah, that's a good model, I think. Yeah. I don't I'm, know. I'm sure it, that's more of interest to the youth for, versus running in a 5K road race. Yeah. Right. Well, no, they, there's no way to get them to do that. <laughs> no way. Yeah. No way. Dave, it's been yeah. great. You know, when I think of, uh, I have this whole, don't call it, I don't, a brand, or th- this podcast is called The Forward Podcast. Yeah. And The Forward is a sub-thought of, of a way of life that I live, which is called We Do. So most people, um, all the things we just talked about, marathons or triathlons or any, whatever, whatever comes in the future, that are that is so extreme that most people look at it and say, "God, who wants to do that? Or who does? Who, mm. who wants to go do that?" Um, the people there on the start line and the people training for that and the people aspiring to do that—they're answering the question. And the, and the answer is, we do. Mm-hmm. And so you are literally the poster child. You may not know this, but I'm going to point you that you, mm. you're like our first um, um, poster. It's going to be the Dave McAlvery week because you answer that. Mm-hmm. The same way. I mean, who wants to run 63 miles on their birthday? Not very many. You no. know what I'm saying? It's a way yeah. of life. Yeah. yeah. Who wants to do 7, 7, and 7? 39, how many? 30, all 39 of those people are going to say we do. Yeah. So, I mean, you more than anybody I think I've ever met um, uh, live and breathe that. So, I think inspiring. it all stems from your youth. And, yeah. you know, for me, when I was a kid, I wanted to be one thing and one thing only. That was an athlete. Hmm. I just wanted to be an athlete. Yeah. But I was always the last pick when my friends bucked up for sides. Right. And uh, always the last one cut when I went out for high school sports. So what it taught me, Lance, more than anything else, was taught me about rejection. Mm. Now, I, I didn't have an illness. I didn't have, at the time, you know, heart problems or cancer. But I had a different type of illness, you know, and it was emotional. And sometimes that, that can be worse than the others. For sure. Th- than a physical illness. Mm. And because how do you recover from that? Mm. So that's why I started running because no one can cut you from running. Right. And it was my way of being an athlete, yep. you know, and I'm, I just finished uh, a children's book and it's hmm. coming out at the end of the year. And uh, the name of it is Dream Big because when I was a kid, um, I wasn't big, but I, I dreamed big. Right. And that's all I'm trying to teach kids is yep. that. You know, you can always have big dreams and earn the right to do it and achieve a lot if you, you know, again, believe in yourself. And yep. um, so I just took a different path. Yep. And, um, you know, as I look back on it was my a life. a good call. 
What's that? It was, it was a good call. Good, I look back on my life in retrospect. It was a yeah. good call. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Dave, you're a legend. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, so for, you. thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to the Forward Podcast. Like, uh, like I said at the top of the show, if you have anything you want to say, if you have a suggestion, please, God knows I need suggestions, um, or questions, or concerns, or criticisms, or whatever, let me know. Send me an email. Send it to theforwardpodcast at wedosport.com. I know it's long. I know it's a little confusing. The forward podcast at we do w-e-d-u sport singular dot com the forward podcast at we do sport dot com 